Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy, and today we have another amazing guest for you this week. Uh, it's none other than probably one of the coolest people I know that helped me a lot, uh, helped me a lot by understanding imposter syndrome and how it actually really affects our minds in our lives. Um, and I met this person mostly through uh, Mo and Nawaz, who I was working with at the time. It was shortly after I left him, actually. Um, and she did a live webcast. It's absolutely amazing. It's one of my favorite ones I like to rewatch. It's none other than, it's none other than uh, Tara Halliday. Now, Tara, welcome to the show. Hi, Adil. Thanks very much for having me. It's great. You're very welcome. Now, just before we jump into the show, as always, I'm going to do the sponsor shout out. So, as always, this show is sponsored by AdelMarcy.com. And today's other sponsor is CompleteSuccess.co.uk, which is, again, your site, Tara. That's right. Yes. Thank you. That's pretty awesome. So, please tell me more about how you got into what you do today because, um, you, you know, it's just amazing. But you've been oh, right. doing this for like 30, you've been doing like 30 years of self development, spiritual development. How? How, when, where did it all start? Yeah. It, all, it, it all started um, in school, in a careers class, and we were trying to decide what we wanted to do with our lives, uh, you know, what, what, what job we wanted to do. And I, what I really, really wanted to do, went through all the list of everything, what I wanted to be was a psychologist. What I wanted to do was help people feel better, feel happier, get over the, the painful stuff. Um, my life kind of took a left turn because I wasn't allowed to be a psychologist. Um, so I became an engineer, so I've been a consultant engineer and being, you know, corporate business, um, high tech startup, had my own businesses, sold them. And, um, but all throughout this, I've maintained that love for you know, psychology, personal development. And I learned meditation when I was 19 and then just it's, I, I don't take holidays, I take workshops, <laughs> take courses, and uh, it, it's just been continual, yeah. That's amazing. Now, it's really interesting that you actually jumped on the idea of meditation, because the podcast before this one, I think four of our guests have all brought that up in different ways. Oh. Now, one of um, one of the ways that I meditate is through my martial art. When I'm doing my martial art, I just completely, yeah, no mind, complete peace and relaxation. Mm -hmm. As someone that meditates quite frequently, I assume still to this day, what do you find is the most, the easiest way to meditate? Is it sitting there and just kind of cross-legged, relaxed and relaxing your mind? Or is it in doing something that gives you no mind and pleasure? Um, I actually do both. So the meditation that I was taught was transcendental meditation, oh, wow. which had which has a mantra to it, so and that's that really takes you deep. And then I've done some um, Buddhist and Dzogchen meditation, which is um, all about that that space, that you know, not being there, that presence without presence. And the same as you, I've done martial arts like Tai Chi and Qigong. Okay. So you get you get that. I know what you mean. You get that in there as well. Yeah, so you, it's great. You studied the soft, the soft martial arts. I remember those because um, qigong and tai chi mostly have to do with internal body work. Because I actually did a lot of this when I was uh, sixteen, seventeen to help with my breathing. Mm. Yeah, you always remember that. It was always good because like the tai chi masters lived to such an old age. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Plus, I have to admit their clothing is super comfortable. I have all the martial arts gear I've worn. 
Tai Chi clothing most comfortable. It's it's a lifestyle as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty much embodied. Do you still do you still do it or? Yeah, I still practice the Qigong. Yeah, not um, not through the class because I uh, the classes that I took was when I was living in London um, with a superb master called Chris Chapel. Um, but I'm I'm not in the area now, so I just practice by myself. So kind of like the idea of um, something I really did want to get back on as well, because a lot of people I know, especially that listen to the show, go through uh, cycles of what I like to call the imposter syndrome cycle. Mm-hmm. And you did an amazing extraction of your work and exactly what it is. And I was hoping, if you don't mind, if we can actually de- delve into that a little bit more. Sure, yeah. Great. So like, what would be, like, just for the people that didn't listen to that for whatever reason, I urge you to go check it out. But we we're actually going to like go into little points here. What would you class as the imposter syndrome, like in your in your eyes, in your world? Sure. So imposter syndrome is the secret feeling of being a fraud, and the fear of being found out. So, and it affects seventy percent of high achievers at some point in their lives, but it doesn't usually affect them all the people all the time so um, like you, you're absolutely right there's a cycle it'll, it'll happen when um, you go for a challenge say a new job new promotion a new role or just you know expanding your business it can all be the same um, and it can also be triggered by a, a very negative environment so if you find yourself in critical environment where mistakes aren't treated as learning experiences, instead they're treated as um, flaws to be punished, then that will tend to trigger an imposter syndrome as well. It shows up, I mean it's very stressful, there's an anxiety, that fear of being caught, found out, everyone's going to know, is is really, it puts you, it makes you hypervigilant, so your stress levels go up, um, and it shows up in lots of different ways. It'll show up like um, um, uh, perfectionism, it'll show up as overwork. Chase definitely agrees with you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But no, I I mean, that's a very true valid point. I mean, if it's okay with me to interject with some of my personal things, that's something I go through quite frequently. As in, especially mm-hmm. when I have like a client knock me back, when a mailer goes out, until the mailer has gone out or the letter's gone out or the traffic is being run to the offer I've created for someone, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. It's um, the place that's shown up for me the most, especially recently, is with this course I'm creating, mm-hmm. which is the story something which is essentially about. Um, well, I've been writing direct response for about sixteen years almost. So I've been in business since I was twelve. I'm almost twenty-eight. And because of that, I've actually ran through a situation where I, when I create modules, I think this isn't good enough. No one's going to listen to this. <laughs> so it's just insane because on the surface level, if you said that to me and said, ha ha, you're not good enough. My exact response is, well, you're an idiot. You don't know anything. <laughs> um, at the same time, if I sat there in a room and said, I don't, and was left to my own devices and you monitored my thoughts, the first thoughts that would come through are, Oh my God, what am I doing? I'm an idiot. I know nothing. So yes. it's one. And that's it. It's keeping that a secret. And that's part of it. Yeah, it really is. So what would you say are some of the best ways to overcome or at least better comp, uh, not compensate, sorry, better um, deal with it? You're better equipped to deal with it. 
Um, well, awareness of what it is is the first place to start. So, yeah, I'm, I'm aware. Rather than, you know, some people will distract themselves or get addicted to various things. They get swept up in doing all sorts of different um, distracting activities. So actually, you know, seeing for yourself, this is what's going on helps. Um, but then the next step is really understanding it because the course of it, what, what's really going on is, uh, as you say, is a sense of feeling not good enough. And that sense of not good enough is, is that we are somehow bad for not achieving, not getting something, not doing something, not getting it right, not being perfect. And that will go all the way back to your childhood. That's when you know, you, 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 you do something right and you get praise or smiles, cuddles, and then you, you, do, you make a mistake, get something wrong, and the attitude of parents and teachers changes towards you. And what you learn is that from that, that I'm, I can't make mistakes, I'm good enough as I am, and if I do make mistakes, then it's going to be bad. Then, with imposter syndrome, it, it narrows down to, it's not, it tends, with successful people, it tends not to be about everything. It tends to be something that will come up, you know, I'll talk about kind of a, a one thing, that people will be more susceptible to feeling, feeling like a fraud about. Like, for example, um, uh, I don't sing very well, <laughs> not great my singing, but I love singing. And I really enjoy karaoke. So I have no no fear about standing up in front of a whole room full of people and singing badly. Um, because I don't believe that my singing badly means anything about me. It's the meaning that we put to it. Um, whereas if I'd grown up, say, in a household where everyone was musical and everyone played a million instruments and it, it, um, and it was really valued highly and I was maybe um, mocked or disapproved of for my, my poor singing, I would I not, you know, wild horses couldn't drag me on the stage to sing because I would feel that it means something about me, that I'm worthless, that I'm not good enough. That's quite interesting because I currently have a cat digging its claws into my back. That's always fun. Sorry, just complete <laughs> randomness. A distraction, yes. I have a, he's a pain in the ass. He's trying to get on camera, and that's what it is. It's because I've moved. Um, sorry, guys. Like we're actually doing a visual interview here as well. So like we're actually doing this live on Skype and doing this, and my cat's being well. Chase, you guys know what he's like. You've had me bitch and moan about him enough times. But something that's like quite interesting for me is. You can actually change that story, though, can't you? Like the one that you tell yourself about how things work. Absolutely, yeah. Right. That that will be the, the way to, to address it. Yeah, and you actually offer a one-day kind of intensive on this, don't you? Um, yeah, so um, that's, a, um, that's, that's for people to um, really understand what's going on for themselves. So what I do is I also teach coaches how to help people go through this. You see, um, my goal is to reach as many people as I can, and I can't, I can't only see so many people in person. So I've been a therapist and coach for 16 years now, and helping people through sorts of um, crises and difficulties. And um, there's so much need out there to understand something like imposter syndrome. 
um, and I can deal with it all by myself. So I teach coaches how to help people work their way through imposter syndrome. That's amazing. Yeah, because like, you know, it's a huge change because once you get rid of that, it is there. Now, something that I've personally been looking at myself that's been, thank you, person in the car. Um, <laughs> great day today, really. We had construction <laughs> workers, now we've got this, it's all good. But um, what is that I've actually found like my biggest issue has actually stemmed from my father. Because for a lot of guys, it's actually to do with their mother, but for me, it's a fathery thing. Mm-hmm, um, sure. And mine's more to do with like how my dad and I got on as kids. He was like the more dominant alpha male. I was the scared little child, and to this day, that's kind of the dynamic that we have. We butt heads, but still very much like old alpha male silverback gorilla, tiny, tiny cub. And it's mm-hmm. that thing. And I realized uh, something that I'm doing now that's been really helping me is... Uh, okay, so you know Tony Robbins' six basic needs? Mm-hmm. And yeah. where, where there's a lack of a need is where it is, and or the Enneagram, which is another thing. My thing is basically powerlessness is where I get my power. Because I have such powerlessness, I have to act out in order to attain it, apparently. Which is why this podcast is here, because let's be honest, it's just an extension of my ego. You're all welcome, and welcome (laughs) to the madhouse that is my brain. Um, (laughs) It's always brilliant. It's lovely having you as guests. Please wipe your feet. The straight jacket's to the left. Um, (laughs) But what I'm saying is that it's the joy that I get from actually bringing that, and it is a level of power of bringing it out there and actually doing all this crazy stuff. What I, find, what I find is that if I get to a point that I'm becoming too, quote-unquote, successful, I will mm-hmm. do everything I can in my power to sabotage. Uh-huh. And, or at least that was the way. The way that I'm actually working on it now, and it could be a healthier and healthy way because you know, you know the subject way more than I do, <laughs> is I've attuned my natural fighting ability. I love a good fight. I love a good scrap. It's all in there. It's the way it is. You, know, you give me a challenge, I'm going to go do it. The way mm-hmm. I've actually started to attune that is... Rather than letting it rule me, I rule it. So rather than saying, letting myself get down to my last penny and then going, okay, now I need to make all this money now and doing it, uh, yeah. instead of getting that buzz then, I go, okay, why not get to the point where every day you challenge yourself to reach that point? So you just mentally start off with a bank balance at zero and you go there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, but you just tell yourself it is. And... It's kind of produced a lot of interesting results in the sense that I'm able to actually um, do things I never thought I was able to do. Like connect with people like yourself, connect with other entrepreneurs and business owners, and mm-hmm. help people just because I can. It's one of the one joys. But what would be yeah. your opinion? What would be, say someone else is going through that, he says hello. Um, I can. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to say, with the sense of like, how would you best address someone that is in a situation where not even they have a situation like me but they keep doing everything they can to self-sabotage i mean they want to do good but everything they do leads to the opposite effect what what advice would you give um right so so this this comes back to what you believe your worth is about um, if you're if you're sabotaging it, then there's there's a reason. Now, lots of people when they talk to me about imposter syndrome, tell me about um, being reluctant to stick their head over the parapet. Right? That's uh, you know, it's such a common phrase, but it really is it really is that kind of war warlike image, right? So you know, you you stick your head up over the parapet, and somebody's going to shoot it off or cut your head off. So there's that level of um, I'm not willing to risk this. 
So, you know, you, 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 you can take your success so far, but then when it starts to be a bit too much, a bit too, a bit, a bit more, a bit more of a challenge than you're feeling comfortable with, good enough about, then that's when you would start to, yeah, some people would sabotage, some people just would stop, they just wouldn't go forwards. Um, huh. Yeah. That's quite interesting. So kind of backtrack a little bit on the idea of changing the story. One of the ways that I've been taught for a very long time, again, it's a huge self-development person, again, not in the same realm and depth that you've been through, but I love doing stuff like that, is something that I've been taught that's an identity exercise. It's essentially, it's changing the identity through writing a story to your former self and mm -hmm. writing the story of who you want to be. And then burning, like completely taking that former self, putting it in a bowl and setting that piece of paper on fire inside a bowl. So it's controlled flames. It's, it's releasing, essentially. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then replacing it with this new thing that you've read. Yes. That, 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 can, that can work really, really well. That works best on um, beliefs that you're holding um, that aren't linked to your identity. Um, so if you have have a belief that that's it's kind of not as not as strong, then that works beautifully, and and we can change our beliefs very very straightforwardly like that. When you start to get to edge towards your identity, um, the beliefs that kind of hold your identity in place, the, the really fundamental things, which includes self worth. Then what happens is that all oh, we start to be a bit more resistant. It starts to be harder to let go of because there's an idea that you have to break down that part of your own identity in order to embrace a, a new one. And that's really, really hard to do by yourself. So that's where I would say you need someone else to do that. In fact, in my experience, you really can't do it by yourself, not, not for the identity-related ones. The exercise is good. It's great for bringing awareness. Um, what you'll tend to find is that when things get more stressful for you, then you'll just go right back to doing the same old stuff again. And that's, and that's really the issue. But yeah. That's pretty amazing. That's, that's amazing. So like, kind of like an idea to explore from here is, well, it's a question really, it, on the idea of affirmations, do they work or do they not? Like, is that something that truly changes you or is that something that just makes you feel good? Or is it like a halfway between the two? Because again, it is, it is a belief structure. Yeah, uh, it's a great question. It really is a great question. I see affirmations like a paper hat, right? It's absolutely brilliant in the sunshine and just falls apart in the rain. So, so yes. how, do, how, how do you get it to become a like say a, an umbrella that is one that works like how, yeah. how do you do stuff like that yeah so 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 when i when i mean falls apart in the rain is that when things become stressful you know you can look in the mirror and you can tell yourself i'm this powerful person but you just don't believe it fundamentally and and when things are going well you can kind of believe it and buy into it and that's the the sunshine part of it um so I would say look for where affirmation aren't working for you. Look for, for, for the things that keep coming back to you when the affirmations just Those would be the ones to, to then challenge deeper. Those would be the ones to, to work with somebody else. Because, you know, there'll be a part of your brain that's going, mm, 
you're a liar. That's not true. Yep, that's usually the case. <laughs> which is why, like, someone like my friend Noah St. John, and I haven't spoken to him for a really long time about this, which is why he came up with this idea of affirmations. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Mm, no, I haven't. Okay, so the idea is that your brain actually works on questions, correct? Yes. Yes, if I said to you, what's, if I said to you, uh, try not to think of a color, of the color gray, that's mm. usually a question. It's not a statement. It's try not to question mark at the end. Yeah. And because of that, your brain kind of follows it. It's like asking someone randomly in the middle of an argument, what's the capital of Peru? Mm -hmm. It switches thoughts because your brain has to answer that question. Yeah. So Noah's research said, Tony Robbins' memoir says, the quality of your life is dictated by the quality of your questions. If that's the rule in case, and your brain works on questions based on the psychology they had of the day, why is it that we're actually giving it statements to appear to, and again, paper hat? Rather, wouldn't it be more powerful, as he proposed, to ask questions that are positively charged, such as, why is it that I'm so wealthy today? <laughs> or, better yet, why is it that I'm happier today than I was yesterday? Right. Yes. What is three? What are three things I'm grateful for right now? Just little questions like that that force your brain to kind of start a thinking positively, but b mm -hmm. make you feel good. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Gratitude, gratitude is the most huge thing that you can do. It changes your brain. It changes your physiology and your thoughts. It's really, really brilliant. I can't can't express that highly enough. Um, and that's for things because those things you're grateful for, you believe, right? I'm I'm grateful that I can breathe easily. <laughs> I really am. Yeah. You just have to have a you know a heavy cold or asthma or something like that, and you know yeah, exactly. Realize, yeah, well, the exact opposite is. I mean, when yeah. I get ill, it's like death. Yes. Yes. So yeah, that's it. I was going to say, do you mind if I tell a real quick story for you sure. about like gratitude? Because this is kind of a basis of something I'm planning to write a book about, specifically mm. about. It's a very short story. It's a parable, um, mm -hmm. and it's powerful. And it's based on this book. It's based on this uh, story of Moses. Yes, we're getting religious children. It's fine. Trust me, you're going to take this advice, and it's going to be amazing. Now, the whole thing is that Moses was going up the mountain to talk to God. On his way up, and I'm paraphrasing the crap out of this because I really, it's not a long story, but it's one I want to get done to get the points. A poor man approaches him. Loincloth is all he has left. Stinky, shunned by the town. He walks up to Moses and goes, you're, you're Moses. He goes, yes. He goes, you're going to talk to God, aren't you? He goes, yep. He goes, could you ask him something for me? He goes, what is it? He goes, I'm poor. Like, really poor, destitute, lost everything. Ask God how I can get wealthy. So I really want to reclaim my wealth. I want to reclaim my ability to be a man. And he goes, okay, I'll go ask. On the way up, halfway through, he passes a ranch on the mountainside. And this ranch owner comes out. And he offers Moses a drink and says to him, Moses, you're Moses, aren't you? He goes, yes. He goes, are you going to speak to God? He goes, yes. He goes, could you do me a favor if it's not too much of a hassle? So what's the favor? He goes, God's given me more wealth than I know what to do with. I give 90% of away every year, and I get more back. No matter what I do, I keep getting more back. It's really, really starting to piss people off. Because other people are getting jealous of this thing. It's starting to cause me headaches and problems. What can I do to stop my wealth being so great? And Moses goes, okay, cool. I'll ask. I'll, you know, I'll come back later. I'll tell you when I see him. Well, you know, after he's spoken to God, I'll tell you on the way down. Goes to speak to God, comes on the way down. Now, on the way down, the first person he sees, obviously, is the rich person because they're closer. Mm -hmm. So the rich person rides out, 
glasses and everything else like this and says to Moses, did you, uh, how are you? How was it? It was great. He goes, did you, he waits for a while and he asks God, yeah, he asks Moses, did you speak to God about my problem? And Moses goes, Rich, would you have too much money and you don't know what to do? He goes, yeah. He goes, I did ask God about that. And his response was, stop being grateful. Because you're really grateful, stop being grateful. It'll be taken away with you in an instant. The man recoiled in utter disgust, looked at Moses and said, how dare you? He goes, how dare you tell me to not be grateful to the creator that's given me everything that I have in my life, in my world, that's taken me from a simple farmer uh, that had nothing to his name, that came from nothing, that became who he is today and able to give so much charity. If I was ungrateful, I'd be doing an unjust, uh, a disservice and it would be unjust. At that moment, the ground shook and the glass turned into diamonds uh, after it broke. Now on the way down, Moses is on the way down, and he goes, no, it's okay, I don't want to drink. Gets down. He meets the poor man. Now the poor man has been waiting all day. Sees Moses, immediately rushes to him, doesn't ask him a single thing except for, what did God say? Moses says, all right, you said, if you want anything in life, you want your wealth, health, everything back, become grateful. Become grateful for what you have. And the, and the poor man literally cussed Moses out told him, how dare you tell me to be grateful? He's taken everything from me. How dare I? Blah, 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 blah. Problems of the past. At that moment, a wind flew by and took the loincloth this man cherishes his last possession with it. He was left completely destitute and naked. And the moral of the story is quite simple. When you're grateful, no matter how successful or how poor, it'll always grow. And a complaint, by the way, this is a truth. The way I look at it is when you complain about something, you're actually being grateful. And a lot of people don't realize that because a complaint is saying thank you, please more of this <laughs> in a disguised way. Like you're always grateful, but it just depends what you're grateful for. I mean, that's my story on gratitude at least. Yeah, I love it. That's really, really good. Yeah, and it's a parable, it's the way it is. And I want to take that and turn it to a different story so it's not so much in the religious context, but teaches people about the power of gratitude because there's a lot of people that are listening to this or around the people who would listen to this that are spiritual but don't want to associate themselves to a religion or they don't think something happened i'm like that's cool you can be agnostic atheist spiritual whatever it is you choose your label that you want to have dead simple why throw the baby out with the bathwater? it clearly says what everyone else has been saying for years become grateful for what you have and watch it grow absolutely and and, and i would i would add to that that the times that it's most difficult to feel grateful are the times when we're most stressed, most emotionally out of sorts, and everything looks black. And uh, I, I know because people I work with, they struggle to feel grateful. What have I got to feel grateful So what I tend to tell people is to start with something really, really simple, like I, ha I can see Oh wow! Look at the world. I can hear. Yeah, I have. I have two arms, and if I've only got one arm, I've got one arm. Yeah, being grateful for the very, very simple things of having life, having breath, then moving to the things that you do have, like food, enough food, enough uh, shelter, clothes. Two annoying ass cats. Two, two, two cats who you're being grateful for their noise, so they give you some more noise. They give this show some flavour. It's always what we yeah, do. Yeah, it's also my humour. 
It's homely. It's great. That's what we do. But I mean, it's so true because that's something um, I've always been truly grateful about and I've loved from a very young age is um, the idea. Because I watched The Secret when I was really, like, when I was, mm. when I was in my teens. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't agree entirely what was with The Secret. I have my own issues with that thing. Mm-hmm. But take away the good from the bad. Separate it. The good was the attitude of gratitude creates the vibration you want. Mm-hmm. And something Joe Vitale once said was, if you can actually be grateful for even something small, like being able to see, being able to breathe, being able to sit, being able to stand, being able mm. to move. Mm. Even if you're like, again, I don't mean this in a horrible way because I don't like body shaming people, but genuinely, if you're like a really fat slob that does nothing, that has really weak energy, that has no creativity or power in their life, become grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Because trust me, there's a dead part, there's a guy in in a coma right now, or a girl in a coma right now, wishing they can be that fat slob because like, at least I'll be alive and be able to move. Yeah. Because their studies showed that even if you're in a coma or brain dead technically, you can still hear, feel, and see everything. Um, mm. There was a man that was a vegetable. Like he was, he became a vegetable, unable to communicate, unable to do anything. They said that it destroyed most of his brain. He was basically brain dead and disabled mm-hmm. for the rest of his life. And the doctor said, like, told his parents that he he would be, and I hate using this word in, out of context, but it is in context, that they would be mentally retarded. They would be mentally slower uh, than they've ever been in their life, and it's just easier to put them out of their misery if they could, but because the governments and laws didn't actually allow euthanasia at the time, or euthanasia at the time, um, they, they were forced to live. And they actually gave this account saying that it was horrible seeing, hearing, and feeling their mother, father, sister, brother, everyone in the family kind of lose it with them in the sense of, ugh, this person's such a burden to me. I wish they would, you know, all this stuff. And they would say things in front of me because they would believe that he, was, he wasn't able to understand. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, six years of in this situation, somehow his brain kept fighting and he rebuilt himself. Mm-hmm. It's a miracle, truly. Wow. And what he came out and said was that while I was in that vegetative state, I could hear and see everything. I recall everything. Because the only thing is, my motor functions and everything else failed me, so I couldn't communicate when I needed to. Mm. But I remember everything. Which kind of gave this whole credence that like, when someone says, you're brain dead, you're not really. And this guy actually accredited a lot of his recovery to having the gratitude to actually say, at least I have my functions. Because you hear the story of someone that's like that, the story is... They can't do anything. Why are they still alive? They're in constant pain. In reality, for him, was I had all my functions. Every time I spoke, it just sounded like I was in pain because that's all my body could produce. Yeah. Because I became grateful six years later. I'm out of that situation. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. And it's even something as simple as having a pen, like Mm -hmm. a pen and a notepad. Um, Sorry, I know I'm jabbering on right now, but just one last (laughs) quick point before I ask you another question. I've always often said, well, there's three things that I do with my friends. The first one is we play a game called Murder, which is how do you kill your best friend and get away with it? Because we're weird and we love doing stuff like that because it challenges (laughs) your brain. Two and three are a little bit more productive, I promise. Number two is how long would it take is the game. How long would it take for you to get back on your feet if you were made redundant, homeless, and lost everything today? Like you woke up tomorrow and you were penniless on the street. How long before you actually made yourself back to where you were. 
That's mm-hmm. a lot. Of, you know, you had no resources. No one really knew what happened to you. You just disappeared, woke up somewhere, and you're like, oh, stuff, what's going on? Yeah. And the third question is, what two items would you take with you if you were in that situation? And everyone has their own thing. So I'm going to play this game with you right now, Tara. Whoa. So if you, we're not going to play murder because I know how you're going to do oh, it. Thank you. <laughs> we're going to play the fun ones, which is if okay. you lost everything tomorrow, you woke up in a different place. You know, everyone spoke, you spoke the language, but yeah. you didn't know anyone. And you woke up without resources and you were homeless. How long do you believe it would take you for you be, to be able to get back to a place that you're comfortable? Gosh, wow. Very, very, very quickly. I mean, I, I, I think that I could get the basics, go out and find, I go out and find myself a job straight away, go out to, yeah, I have the information in my head that can't be taken away from me. So I know, I know that there are people out there who serve food to homeless people. I know there are charity, you know, I would just go around and just start picking up. Okay, next step. Yeah, I could. I think I could find a, the most basic of jobs that day. Okay, so you say about um, a day. Um, but it depends where, where I fell from. But <laughs> but I could I could certainly be you know better off at the end of the day than I was at the start of the day. Yeah. Okay. What yeah. two items would you take with you though? Take oh two to that situation. Like you started off, you woke up and you had two items with you. Begin with, what would you take? Including the information in your mind, by the way, you can also use that uh, in another. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's just have the information in my mind. I don't honestly think I'd need anything else. Um. Yeah, I really don't. Does that sound crazy? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, that's just the thing that you would know that you'd be able to do it because that is what you do. Yes. So, yeah. Do you mind if I share mine? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Be good. My thing. I reckon. By the end of the day, I'd be in a better situation. That's number mm-hmm. one. But it would take me 90 days to get back to an apartment in central London. That kind of level of, you know, living. Mm-hmm. I say 90 days, and here's how and why. Because my two items are a no- are, is a big A4 notepad and a pen. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Because the information in my mind's already there. Like, let's just assume that's always there because it's so naturally ingrained in me. Yeah. My plan is simple. If I was made homeless, redundant, whatever it is, I would first of all find a job or find some work. I'd approach, knock on every door I could and tell them, listen, here's the thing. This is my situation. I'm willing to work as long as you give me what I need so I can go ahead and do this. I just need this much. Yeah. At the same time, I request two hours a day, like two hours, like one in the afternoon, what's my lunchtime, and one after hours where I can just sit down and write. I need somewhere like calm and quiet so I can sit down and write. Like, mm-hmm. why? It's like, because in 90 days, this will happen. Sit down, pull out a notepad, and start writing some copy. Just, fi- like, even for that business, mm-hmm. find a way to help grow that business. And at yeah. the end of the day, what I would do is I would use my money for, you know, food, shelter, and everything else. The part that I would also use is I'd buy stamps uh-huh. and envelopes. Rather than, like, going to FedEx and all that the other, I'd literally buy brown paper envelopes, a red stamp marker, and some stamps. I just mm-hmm. like right urgent done front end stamp mail. That'll cost me what a grand total of ten pounds maybe maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And all in all, will end up happening in about thirty to sixty days, and even ninety days. I'll start having people paying me say, 
how can we do business together? How can you know you got my attention with this thing? How'd you do it?、Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to see how people do that. My friend, like worst case scenario, if I lost everything, I would just end up boxing. I would just go back and use my hands as I used to, do some boxing. There we go. That's a quick way for me to get what I need in order to get back out again. Yeah. There's, it's when you're creative and grateful for what you have, you'll find more than one way of finding freedom. Yeah. Now, my favorite question to really ask you here is one to do with confidence, because a lot of people don't really realize how how much confidence plays a key in life and business.、Mm-hmm. Sure. What would you say would be like? We'll make it two ways. We'll, we'll do this in two ways. The first one is more personal with you, and the second is more advice because you're a therapist, and we rarely get those on here. So I really want to see your take. <laughs>、okay. So the first one is, how would you? Well, when when you were knocked down, because I'm sure everyone says when you're knocked down to the very lowest of your confidence, where you like, I'm incapable, I don't know what I'm doing, or some variation of that, or you know, I really don't know, my confidence is really low. What did you do? To rise back up, how did you get back up from that? So that's my first question to you. Okay, sure. So、um, yeah, I did go through. There's been a few low bits. Let's let's pick the lowest of the low.、Um, so、um, I so go back to imposter syndrome. So I I tried to stretch myself more than I was comfortable with, and things weren't working out, and things were looking like they were failing. So I was. Um, doing some property development work, and a couple of、uh, things went wrong, and it was looking like I was going to fail rather publicly in what I was doing, and I started getting overwhelmed.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I started shutting down, and I started thinking that suicide might be just a sensible thing to do, which is. That's the craziness. So it's a pretty dark place, I would say. Could you repeat the last like thirty seconds or so? Because like we just kind of lost you. Just kind of. Oh no.、Um, so yeah,、uh, let me.、Uh, so I was in a very dark place.、Um, I was feeling overwhelmed. I was decided that I was going to fail, and everyone would know about it. At the time, that was just devastating to me, and suicide was starting to fa- sound like. A really good idea, like just sensible, logical thing. Which is, when you get to suicide, it it, it is. It's the, the the scary thing about it for me was because I am a confident, capable person. It was that sense of、um, I, I can't do anything. I was starting to not open envelopes, you know,、um, bills and things like that, and that just was so different for me. It was it was really scary. So、um, what I did is I got some help.、Um, I had a friend who I was seeing from time to time in a coffee shop, and he was going through a really bitter, bitter divorce. And every time I saw him, he was getting happier and happier. Now <laughs> his circumstance of his divorce wasn't changing, but he was just doing better and better because he was getting this one particular kind of help that can work. And、um, So it got to the point where it got so bad, and I was getting worse and worse. I said, "Man, look, you know, I need to do something here. I need, I need help because this isn't going to end well otherwise."、Um, and he said, "We'll talk to this guy." So I looked up this guy, looked what he did, his website, and called him up and say, "Right, I want that. <laughs> none of, none of this、um, 
you know, introducing, getting to know him, and, and, and no, I'm, I'm desperate. I need help. So, I would get help. That's uh, when I'm when I'm in a dark place. I would get help. Awesome. Cool. So that's number one. Second okay. question is. Yeah. I mean, you kind of answered it slightly, but I want to know if there's a variation. Sure. If someone else, like a client of yours, who is a high flyer, high achiever, imposter syndrome, that kind of thing, but their confidence is not to the point, again, very similar to you, to the point of suicide, where that looks like the right thing to do, they're shutting down completely, and mm -hmm. they're too afraid to ask for help, mm -hmm. what would you actually advise? Because they don't want to lose face. If they go to a friend and say, hey, I really need help, they lose yeah. face. Or, I kind of say this one because it's happened to me enough times, I know what my advice is, where you ask for help and the and the response you get is, but you're, insert your name, you always work it out. <laughs> what advice would you give? I would say that none of us can do this by ourselves. None of us can do this alone. Yeah, the, the, one of the problems that um, very successful people have is that they are so capable, so it feels like almost that they have to do it by themselves, that somehow they're less if they don't. Um, so I would say to somebody in that kind of situation who can't talk to a friend or a colleague, speak to someone that's totally neutral to you, that you can talk to, and that can be um, a, that can be a priest, that can be a therapist, but somebody who's a complete stranger to you. Um, you really, really can't do this by ourselves. That's that's the illusion. But and and even the idea that we should do this by ourselves is, you know, we're social creatures. We are. We're not supposed to be on a, a desert island by ourselves. That's always easier said than done. It it it, it really is. It's make it's making a choice. It's taking that responsibility and saying, look. Um, and and that can be that can be a transformational experience for people, you know, uh, to to fail, to fall, and and to realise that we're not as invincible as we thought we were or hoped we were. Um, it, it can it can help people develop a little bit more. Um, uh, understanding of themselves and acceptance of themselves. Um, very often people, particularly successful people, drive themselves too hard because they think they have to, because they think somehow it's get, they're going to be a better person. If, I, if I've got more money, then I'm a better person. If I've, if I've got a, a more prestigious job or a faster car or this or that and the other, then that makes me a better person. And the fact is that really doesn't. There is nothing that we can do to make us a better person, like more worthy, more valuable, and there's nothing we can do to make us worse. And if we if we feel that deep, really deep in, in, in inside ourselves, we really believe that, that is what sets us free. Because then you don't worry about, well, if I do this, other people are going to think badly of me. No, if you know that whatever you do doesn't affect who you are and your worth, then you've got the courage and the, the genuine confidence going through anything. Absolutely. That's amazing. Okay, cool. So my favorite question of all time uh -huh. is, uh, it's very similar to this. It's very similar to the thread of the advice. And that is, what advice would you give to someone that's hit a plateau? Now, usually we do this with a little bit three questions, uh, three areas. 
But you've covered so much, I really want to go with these love. These are the type of people that, especially business owners and entrepreneurs, they've hit a plateau, mm-hmm. but they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to get out of it. What advice would you give them? Right, so um, this, is, this is the idea of complete success, actually. Um, they might have hit a plateau, say, in their business. Uh, right, and now look to the rest of your life. You know, how's, how's that looking? You know, how's, how's your relationships looking? How's your health looking? How's your spiritual life looking? And, and that tends to be what gets people through plateaus, is, is, to, is to broaden the definition of what they call success, rather than make it narrow in one way. Because if you just chase and chase and chase one thing, the rest of your life can be just nightmare (laughs) and that's not really happiness that's not really success that's not really uh, a fulfilled life that's true i mean far too people actually understand that like completion of other areas is where you really find success something a friend of mine told me yesterday um we were having a conversation and said well if you're not liking what's happening right now it's because of you so change find a change do things differently it could be something as simple as oh i wake up at five o'clock in the morning well guess what get up at four thirty or get up at five thirty <laughs> um you know i, I yeah. walk this way to work well walk another way to work i catch this tube well take the bus whatever you do do something different that shakes up the system internally mm-hmm. and when it does usually find you usually find an answer yeah that that's great actually that's 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 kind of more of a stagnation rather than a plateau yeah that's like if 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 things aren't looking comfortable, then, then yeah, some, something needs to change somehow. Start, start anywhere, and you'll, 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 at least you'll be moving forward rather than stuck. Yeah. Agreed so much to that. Now, guys, go check out uh, completesuccess.co.uk because there's a ton of stuff there that's absolutely great that Tara has actually written um, and put up, as well as if you actually want to do something with her where you either train for coaches, train for leaders, or just do an elite consulting with her, talk to her. She's absolutely amazing. And you've just seen in a very f- small fraction of time here what is possible and what is capable. And she's absolutely amazing. So, Tara, thank you. thank you so much for being here and being a guest on the show. And, yeah, guys, go check out completesuccess.co.uk. Links will be in the description. Thanks right. very much, Adam. That's great. You're very welcome. Thank you for being Thanks. here. Take care, guys, and I'll okay. see you on the next episode of Adam Marcy Unplugged.